Now let us read together tonight from the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, please. Mark's Gospel chapter 8, and we want to break in at the verse 27. Mark's Gospel chapter 8, and beginning to read at the verse 27. <coughs> and we read, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying, Unto them, whom do men say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. They spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Just think of that. Peter got, grabbed him, just maybe took him by the lapels and he shook him. And took hold of him and said, this, this is not going to happen, Lord. You're not going to be crucified. And Peter couldn't take it in what the Lord was saying. But notice what was said in verse 33. But when he turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thy savourest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of, be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. I know God will bless the reading of his own word to all of our hearts. As you read through the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that the Bible, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, is a book of questions. It has been counted and estimated that there are over 2,270 questions in the, whole, in the Old Testament. Then it has been calculated also that there's over... 1,022 questions in the New Testament. Now, I have not actually read that and uh, studied that out to prove it whether it's true or not, but I'll leave it to you for the next time I come. But again, we say that the Bible is full of questions, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You look into the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 9, First question of the Bible, when God came into the garden at the cool of the day and he said, Adam, where art thou? And that was a question of place. Adam, 
Where art thou? And we read in the word of God that how that Adam and Eve were hiding behind the trees in the garden because of their sin. But they discovered they couldn't hide themselves from the omnipotent presence, omnipresence of the God of heaven. And maybe the Lord would say to you tonight, where art thou? How do you stand in relation to him and God's so great salvation? That was a question of place. Then in the New Testament, in Genesis 27 and verse 22, we have a question of person. You remember Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, stood before the mob, the crowd, that were crying out for the blood of Christ and saying, Crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. And Pilate took the card's way out and he let the crowd make the decision. And he asked the question, what then shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And that was a question of per- person. The greatest question, I believe, that any man or woman can ever be confronted with is what you're going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you do with Christ in time will determine what Christ will do with you in God's great eternity. Oh, I trust tonight that you'll make the right decision and you will receive Christ and say, I'm taking Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I want to look at another question that we find in our scripture reading in the two verses of Mark chapter 8 and verses 36 to 37. And the Lord Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And here we have, of course, a question of profit that the Lord Jesus says, What will it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, it's not possible for any man or woman to gain the whole world. The only person who will do that at the end of the times as the Antichrist who will gain the whole world and the whole world will go after him and will worship him and he will be the only one who will gain the whole world. But of course, according to the word of God eventually, he'll be cast into the lake of fire that burneth forever and forever. And the Lord would say to you tonight, for what shall it profit a man or a woman, or a boy, or girl, or young person, if you gain everything that the world has to offer, and you lose your own soul at the end of the journey. And I want to just look very simply at three things that are suggested in this great question of the Saviour. And you'll notice, first of all, there's a revelation that should make you think. There's a revelation that should make you think. You see... <clears throat> the Lord here, as the faithful and true witness, the Lord here makes a revelation. And we need to underline it for it's a revelation that should make you think. And the revelation is this, that you have a soul. Did you notice there that we have it repeated? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. 
and among all the possessions that you possess, the most precious valued possession that you have is your eternal soul. And oh, that God would burn it into your heart tonight that you're more than a dog, that you're part of God's special creation and that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, created Adam, it says that he breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. Adam was just a piece of clay made out of the dust of the ground formed in the image of God, and then God breathed into him a living soul, and Adam became the possessor of a soul. And you and I tonight, sinners on the broad road, we need to understand it, because it's important that I have a soul, and where will my soul be in eternity? You know, on one occasion, I was with an undertaker. Been during the course of the years, um, been with undertakers many times. And one of them was a local man. And uh, one night, we were out doing door-to-door work, and I knocked on this door unknowingly. And the man who came out was the undertaker. I spoke to him, and he's always been a very helpful man. And uh, began to witness to him and asked him, do you ever think about your soul? about the need to be saved. And he was very sincere. He wasn't being clever. I don't think he was. And he looked at me and he said, You know, Mr. Barnes, I've stood at the side of the grave and I've watched coffins going down into the grave and I've never saw a soul yet. I thought for a moment and I said, Well, naming him by name, I said, Tell me this. Have you ever saw pain? You can see the evidence of pain, but you can't put pain in a test tube and say that's pain. But you can see the awful evidence of pain as people suffer various things in their body. He said, no, I've never seen pain. I said, tell me this, have you ever seen death? He lived with death every day. I said, you've never seen death? You've seen the evidence of death. But you've never seen death. Then I said to him, tell me this, have you ever seen a mother's love? You can't put a mother's love in a test tube and analyze that love, but daily in a thousand ways, a mother will express her love for her family as she cares for them. And yet you can't see it, you can see the evidence of it. Then I said to him, Bobby, naming him by name, I said to him, well, you can't see pain and you can't see death and you can't see a mother's love and you can't see a soul by the human eye. Yet on the authority of God's word and no greater authority than that of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus says, you have a soul. For what shall a prophet a man If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And if these were the only two verses in the word of God that were ever recorded, it's enough to convince you 
on the authority of the words of Christ that you have as an individual an eternal soul. Oh, a revelation that should make you think you have a soul. You know, I think of a dear man, he was unsaved and he had a sister who was saved. And he would have done anything. They weren't married and he would, they lived together and he would do anything to please his sister. And one day his sister said to him after supper, she said to him, I want you to do something for me. And he says, what is it? She says, I want you to go up to your bedroom and sit down and just think for a moment of the fact that you have a soul. Not willing to offend his sister, he went upstairs and he sat down and the Spirit of God began to work in his heart. And as he sat there and he pondered this tremendous fact, it was a revelation that began to make him think. And for the first time he really gave it a minute's thought that he had a soul. And he was awakened to his need of Christ. And he came down the stairs to tell his sister, I've accepted Christ as my saviour and I've come to trust in him. Wondered he ever stopped on a broad road that leads to a Christless eternity to realise, yes, I have a soul, but where will your soul be in eternity? But notice not only a revelation that should make you think, but there's a ruination that should make you tremble, a ruination that should make you tremble. Listen to what the words of Jesus, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, listen, and lose his own soul. And in those five words, and lose his own soul, the Lord warns you of the greatest danger of life on the journey to eternity, that it's possible for you to lose your soul. And here's a ruination that should make you tremble, because this book teaches us that there's Death is not the end, and it's either heaven or hell for eternity. The end of the journey for every one of us. A woman came to Mr. Nicholson and she said, You know, Mr. Nicholson, you should be more like Christ and preach more about heaven. He said, Do you think so? Nicholson went home, got down his concordance, got down his Bible, and he discovered this that the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Preachers, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And the greatest hellfire preacher and warning men and women of a lost eternity was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you remember he said on one occasion, O generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? And there's such a thing as the damnation of hell for to be lost for all eternity. Do you remember how that the Lord pulled back the curtain and he let us look into eternity and he let us look right down into hell and there's the rich man and the poor man and four times the rich man cries out I am tormented in this flame and hell is real and the flames of hell are real. This man cried out that Lazarus would even come be able to dip his finger in water to touch his tongue, that he may be quenched of the awful thirst that he was enduring in hell's torment. You know, I'll never forget as a student in the WAC College, 
You were sent to a little place called Kilwinny, and you would pass it on the way down and through Scotland up to England. Just a small little place. We were sent there. It was a sort of an open brethren hall, and a team of us were sent there from the college to have a mission. And it was a great steelwork industry in those days. It's all closed down now, and that little place, like many of the places that depended on the steelworks, are, 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 are just desolate today. But anyway, this wee elder came to us, and he said, Boys, on Thursday I want you to come to my house for tea. And he said, I want to take you first to the place where I worked, where I worked, the big steelworks. He took us to the big steelworks, a massive place. And uh, we're being guided around, given a personal tour. And then he took us up into these platforms where there was big fats of steel. And we were given a hand mask, a thing that you hold in your hand with coloured glass. And you can look right down into the flames and into the bubbling steel. And I got the hand mask and I was looking down. And I can tell you there was steel and it was just bubbling like water. Tremendous heat. I was glad to get down to tell you the truth. And then afterwards, with a tear in his eye, the old man said, he says, you see out yonder, and he pointed, and there it was. And he says, one of the workers, he says, one of his colleagues, whatever happened, whether he fainted or what, he lost his balance, he fell in to the big fat of steel. Didn't know what hit him. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even... Have time to blink your eye and your body would be dissolved. And he says, they just took that fat of steel. And there it is out there. And it's just tipped there. And of course, there'd be no ashes, nothing remaining of them. And I thought to myself, what must it be to be like the rich man to open your eyes and hell and to realize that you're in a place of eternal darkness, despair and damnation for all eternity. And listen, there's a way into hell, but there's no way out. It's hell for all eternity. Oh, a ruination that should make you tremble. Beware, lest you lose your soul. To lose your health is one thing. To lose your wealth is another. But the greatest loss that any man, any person can suffer is to lose their soul for eternity. But then as I look at these words, there's not only a revelation that should make you think and a ruination that should make you tremble, but thank God there's a redemption that should make you thankful. You see, the one who spoke these words, as we've already read, began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And there you have the two great twin truths of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And the one who spoke these words was setting his face as a flint towards Jerusalem to die on the cross as a substitute for sinners. <clears throat> C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher, he used to say, the cream of theology is in that word substitution. And that's true. That's the very heart 
of the gospel message that Christ died for our <laughs> sinners, for our sins. And as a matter of fact, as Spurgeon was on his deathbed, he kept repeating, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. <laughs> Tell me, what's your hope for eternity tonight? Can you say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You know, one of my favorite characters in American history is President Abraham Lincoln. And slavery was a terrible thing. And that's what brought about the Civil War in America. And don't let anybody ever tell you that uh, slavery was a great thing and the slaves were well treated. They certainly weren't. Certainly weren't. They were treated like cattle bought and sold. Mothers separated from their children. Wives separated from their husbands. And they were treated no better than cattle. And many of them, I uh, couldn't go into the awful details, how they were beaten to death on many, many occasions. But Abraham Lincoln took a stand. And his principle was that all men equal under the law and all men equal in the sight of God. And Abraham Lincoln took the stand as a president to abolish slavery. And that's what led to the war between the North and the South. And of course you know the story from your own knowledge of his life. And how that one night he was attending a theater and a gunman, an assassin, came behind the curtain, shot him, killed Abraham Lincoln. The whole nation was shook to its foundation. The president has been assassinated. And my, what a funeral they had when thousands lined the streets to pay tribute to their president. And it said of a particular black man that he lifted up his little boy above the heads of the crowds. And he said, look, son, look, son, that's the man who died to set us free. Look, son, look, son, that's the man who died to set us free. That's the glorious message of the gospel tonight. Jesus died to set us free. And thank God he can set you free tonight if you only come and trust him. Dale Moody, the great evangelist, was preaching one night and as he came to the end of his message, he made an appeal as he normally did. Been preaching on the words, what then shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And he said, what are you going to do with Christ? And he made the appeal. And he felt constrained to make a second appeal. What are you going to do with Christ tonight? That's the question. Then he made a third appeal. And he said, what are you going to do with Christ tonight? And suddenly an old man stood to his feet with all the scars of sin written on his face. He said, Mr. Moody, Mr. Moody, I'll take Jesus home with me tonight. I'll take Jesus home with me. And he came down the aisle and he found Christ as his saviour. And thank God tonight you can take Jesus home with you tonight. And there'll be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and a friend that loveth at all times. And you can go home knowing that it is well, that it is well with your soul. And if even the angel of death was to come tonight, 
It's absent from the body. Hallelujah. To be present with the Lord. Old Spurgeon used to say that the believer's best step was his last step because he walked right into the presence of the Savior whom he loves and served. Man, it's a great thing to be saved. Great thing to know your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and to have the promise of Christ, him or her that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. A redemption that should make us thankful. Thank the Lord for saving my soul. Thank the Lord for making me whole. Thank the Lord for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and so free. May the Lord write the challenge of his word upon our hearts.